as the choir was singing that song, and I, I admit I was singing right along with them, uh, it reminded me of some of the things that I, I saw a video this week that actually um, was talking about this very thing, how all creation sings. And we get it when we hear birds singing, we, we get that. When we maybe hear the, uh, the tree frog that somehow gets on your window, then no, it's not a tree. Those things are really, really loud. And, but they've got their thing going on. But even the stars in the heavens, through radio telescopes, you can actually hear, here on earth, the sounds being made in the heavens. And it's an incredible thing that all creation does sing to the glory of God. And we have the privilege and the joy and the delight of being able to join with all creation in doing that very thing. Well, today we, we want to get started as we continue in this series called Downfall. And let me ask you, first of all, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you a name, and I want to see if you recognize the name. The name is Daryl Kyle. Does anybody recognize the name Daryl Kyle? Anybody? Sound familiar? Okay. Let me tell you who Daryl Kyle is for those of you who didn't raise your hand. Daryl Kyle was a professional baseball player. On June 22, 2002, he died. He was a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Here's a, a picture of him right now. He was found dead in his hotel room in Chicago. The Cardinals had a game against the Cubs later that day, and he was found dead. There was no drug overdose. There was no alcohol involved in this. Um, there was simply, after the autopsy, what they discovered was they'd had an enlarged heart that two of three coronary arteries were clogged and that he had a blood clot in one of his arteries. Look at the guy. He's thinner than I am. He obviously works out. He's in good shape. And yet, because of a, a heart problem that couldn't be seen, on the outside he looked just fine. Picture of health, but on the inside, on the inside, he had a true physical heart problem, and it took him out at 33 years old. Today, we're going to talk about someone who also had a heart problem, but it was a different kind of heart problem. It wasn't a physical problem with valves and, and arteries and, and veins and various things like that, no enlarged heart. In fact, his heart may be a little smaller, <laughs> His name is Saul, and we've been talking about him for, for a good while now, and we'll, we'll wrap it up next week as we look at Saul, but what we're going to see is that the heart of Saul, beneath that exterior, remember, you remember how Saul, he was, he was tall, he was head and shoulders above everybody else, he was extremely handsome, just a great looking guy, he was the perfect, you know, the image that you would see for a king in your mind, he, he was that. But there was something underneath, something wrong with his heart that led to his downfall. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up today to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you go, boy, I have no idea where that is in my Bible, then I'd encourage you to just start with Genesis to keep going. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You'll get to Joshua. You'll get to Judges. Then you'll meet Ruth. And following Ruth will be 1 
Samuel. If you go to 2 Samuel, you've gone too far. Just back it up just a little bit. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now, the reason I'm asking you to open your Bibles, even though we're going to put Scripture on the screen today, is there is too much Scripture in this chapter for us to cover the entire thing. And so I'm going to be jumping a little bit, and I'm going to, I'm going to have to help you follow me. So we'll play Frogger a little bit through this. But I do want you to go back and read the entirety of the chapter to get the fullness of what's being said here in these verses. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 14, and let's just open up with a word of prayer. Father God, speak to us this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, and may the words that are received, Lord, be your words, not mine. And may they encourage, may they convict, Lord, may they speak powerfully, not just to the ears, but all the way to the heart. For sometimes, Lord, we too, like Saul, have our own heart problem. And we ask you to mend it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a look. Let's begin in verse 1 and see what it says here. It says one day, so he's not given a specific day, but one day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, your translation may have armor bearer, same thing, come let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. His father's the king, King Saul. Verse 2, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, that's another great name, save for a kid, who was Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So let's, let's, let's think about this. And what I'd like you to see is a contrast. So if you're looking there in your Bibles at verse 1 and 2, you will see that there's a contrast between what Jonathan, Saul's son, is doing and what, John, and what Saul, the king, is doing. What Jonathan is doing is, is he is he's the aggressor. He's taken initiative. He recognizes that the Philistines are in the land and the Philistines are doing their raids and, and got, they've got Israel under their thumb in many places. And so Jonathan is out looking for opportunities to attack the enemies of God. He is out looking for ways that he can make a difference and do what his father was called to do, and that was to save the people. That's, that, he, was, he was there to save the people, to protect the people. And so Jonathan was looking for a way to do that. And so he left. He didn't tell his dad. Now, we don't know why he didn't tell his dad. I have a good guess why. I believe Saul would have said, hey, that, that's, that's just not smart right now. Let's not poke a hornet's nest. Let's not go poke the bear. Let's, hey, everything's kind of calm right now. Let's just leave everything this way. Whatever reason, we don't know. That was my conjecture. Jonathan decided he was going to go out, and he took his armor bearer with him, just the two of them, and they went to check out the situation to see if there was anything that they could do. Now, where was Saul? Go back to verse 2, if you don't mind, Marissa. Verse 2 says that Saul was staying on the outskirts of, Gi outskirts of Gibeah. Gibeah was his hometown. 
So he's back at his hometown. It seems like he's always home. You know, he, was, he always went back home. So, but it says here he was in the pomegranate cave at Migron. Now, some of you have your Bibles open. Is that what yours says? What does yours say? He was under a pomegranate tree. Now, you may be wondering, a tree and a cave are not the same thing. And you're right. If you go and you look at this, there are two various, two varied translations. The ESV has he's in a cave, and most other translations choose to say he was under a pomegranate tree. Now, here's the deal. It really doesn't matter. He's in, near Migrant, whether he's in a cave or under a tree, or he's under un, in a cave under a tree. I, it doesn't matter. Wherever he was, here's what he's trying to tell you. King Saul is kicked back. He's chilling. His son is the aggressor, and King Saul, who was commissioned by God specifically to protect the people of Israel from the Philistines, he's just chilling. He's back at home. You can picture him with a glass of sweet iced tea, laying in his hammock underneath the pomegranate tree or in a cave, whatever. But he's, he's passive. Now, this When we read this, this should get our attention because this is not what God had called him to do. And he's got about 600 guys there with him, probably some soldiers, maybe some advisors. We know at least there's a priest there. He's got a few people with him, but I don't know if they're talking about things, if they're debating things. If We don't know. Here's what we do know. He wasn't out looking for the enemy. He wasn't out looking for opportunities to do what God had called him to do. Now, listen, I want to spend a little time. I, I don't have a lot of time on this. Verse 3 is interesting because you see that the priest who was there with him was the great-grandson of Eli. Eli was a, a priest who really was... He was not good. He was, he, was, he was Samuel's predecessor, took Samuel in. Eli, he was just not a faithful guy. And his sons, his sons were worse. And his, his sons, I mean, Eli tried to be faithful, but he could not keep control of his sons. He let his sons run rampant. It was just not a good situation. Phineas, one of those sons. And Phineas was actually, God just cursed him. And, and, and so now we have, Saul has a a priest with him who comes from the line of basically what we would consider a defrocked priest, someone who was rejected by God, and he's got that priest with him giving him the advice that he's getting, which is not good. And I found it interesting that, I mean, why would we need to know that Ahitub was Ichabod's brother? Well, it may have something to do with the meaning of the name Ichabod. Remember, Bible names are significant. This didn't have to be tossed in here. This seems like kind of offhanded. Why? Because the word Ichabod means the glory has departed. The glory has departed. And that's what we see is taking place in this incident, in this chapter, and in the next chapter. God is basically taking his hand of blessing off of King Saul and moving it to another. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that.
All right, so we've got a contrast here between Jonathan and between uh, Saul. Jonathan's aggressive, Saul's being passive. Let's move down to verse 6. All right, verse 6. What's happened here is uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, uh, bearer have uh, they, they found a garrison of Philistines, about 20. And, and they have determined that they've set up this thing. If the Lord gives us the opportunity, we're going to attack them. So verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, talking about the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. I want you to see here, Jonathan's faith does not presume upon God. He didn't say, hey, listen, we're going to go over there and God guarantees us this victory. It's just rubber stamped. It's going to happen. He says, no, we're going to go over there and we're going to be faithful to what God has called my dad and therefore called me to do. We're going to be faithful to that calling. And if we're faithful to that calling, listen, the Lord may give us a victory. And then he goes on to say something which is, which is pretty interesting. He said that the Lord, nothing can stop the Lord, nothing can hinder the Lord by saving, either by many or by few. And so even though he is not presuming upon God, he is making a, a strong statement of faith in the kind of God he serves. That with God, the odds don't matter. With God, the odds, listen, there were two of them and there were 20 Philistines in this garrison. Two against 20. Those are not good odds. 10%, you know, that's, that's the side. There are 10%, uh, that's, that's all, 10% of the group that they're fighting. You would think, well, this is an absolute foolish thing. Why would you attack in this way? But Jonathan knew that God had called them. This is what they were supposed to be doing. And so he says, listen, Lord may give us a victory because we know he can, even though there's only two of us. And my guess is that one of the reasons that Saul hadn't done anything is because he only had 600 guys with him. And he was just thinking, oh, man, look how big the, look how big the enemy is and look how small my group is. That will change, but right now that's the situation, and that's, that's where we are. And so um, this is not just a story of two men fighting 20 because God is, is not finished in this. Because if, when we read on, starting in verse 15, we find that panic starts to break out in the Philistine camp. Why? Because, first of all, they're hearing this fighting going on. It's taking place in this little narrow pass in the Michmash Valley. It's taking place in a narrow pass. These sounds are being echoed, reverberating off the walls of these rock canyons. They hear the, the clashing going on. They hear the screams, they hear the shouts, they hear all this stuff going on. And so the people are starting to perk up because they don't know. Maybe the Israelites are finally coming. Maybe they're going to bring the battle to us. And so they're getting ready. They're getting geared up. You, the, 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 you know, just like when my dog hears another dog out barking, you know, the, the hair starts to bristle up on the back of its neck. So, so they were getting ready for something to take place. And then, I believe because Jonathan took the initiative to do what God had called them to do, God steps up and says, okay, let's, let, let's escalate this a little bit. And so, God brings an earthquake. 
An earthquake at the time this stuff is going on. And this happens, now the ground is shaking. you got to be thinking, okay, anybody, I used to live near a train track. Anybody used to live near a train track? Some of you may still do. Okay, train starts coming by. What happens to the house? Starts shaking. You hear this low rumble and starts shaking a little bit. Now, I've only been in a couple of earthquakes. We actually felt one in Union Point a few years back. I've been in one in the Dominican Republic. These weren't major earthquakes. But evidently, this is a pretty good shaking. Because the people must have thought, listen, over that hill, here's going to come the largest army. This must be a massive onslaught. We have got to get out of here. And so they left in a panic. They went every which way trying to get out of there, trying to run away from whatever was coming. Now listen, it's two guys. It's two guys who decided we're going to take the initiative and do what God's called us to do. We're going to get the ball rolling. And God said, let me give it a shove. And when he did, all panic broke out among the Philistines. Complete confusion. Now, the good thing about this is way back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 23, God had promised he would do stuff like this. God promised to the children of Israel that he would bring confusion to Israel's enemies and that they would have victory. God says, listen, if you'll, just, if you'll just do what I'm asking you to do, if you'll just do what I'm calling you to do, if you'll just be faithful to my call, I know you're outnumbered. I know you've got enemies on all sides. But if you'll just do what I'll cause you to do, I will come in, I will intervene, and I will cause confusion among your enemies. And that's exactly what God did. Now, in verse 16, it says, And the watchman of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked and behold the multitude that is the philistine armies the multitude was dispersing here and there it didn't mean that all oh, little pocket of them left over here little pocket of them left over there no this means they were going as my grandmother would say willy-nilly okay they were they were running for their lives they were headed for the hills they were dropping stuff and just trying to get away as quickly as they can now if we were to go on and read and we're not going to be able to read all the verses Saul's kind of toying with the idea of asking God to, 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 you know, he's got watchmen. He's seeing all this stuff and going, hmm, enemies fleeing over there. Jonathan's gone because they, they actually did a count to find out who was gone. Jonathan's gone. His armor bearer's gone. The enemy's running. You know, you would have thought he'd say, hey, come on, guys, let's go check this. Let's go, let's go get in on this. He gets ready to ask God, and then he finally says, no, we're not going to do that. And he finally rounds the troops up, and he, he sends them in into battle to go fight. And what happens is that once they have stepped up, it's interesting. It says, and you'll read this when you read it, that even those who were the deserters of, from Israel who had gone over to the Philistines, they said, hey, we better change sides again and fight for our, for our brothers here. They started fighting against the Philistines. And remember last week, all the folks that went and hid in holes and caves and wherever they could find the hide, they all came out and they started chasing them. And so you've got this big chase that's on and they're chasing down the Philistines. Saul, he's, he and his 600 guys are with him and now the guys are coming out of holes. They're popping up everywhere. Like, you know, like a whack-a-mole thing, except they weren't getting whacked and they were coming out and they were chasing and, and, and the, the Israelites who'd gone over to serve the Philistines, they're turning against them. It is just an absolute rout that's taking place. And it started with two guys. 
Two guys who were faithful to what God had already told them to do. Don't forget that. Already told them to do. And so it says in verse 23, So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. Jonathan, acting in faith, got that ball rolling, and God kept it rolling. He brought the earthquake. It was not a coincidence. It just, just so happened at that time. And Saul, who was called to save Israel, that was Saul's call. That's what God said. This is, what, this is why I'm making you king, is to save Israel. He was passive. He was waiting. He was chilling. And he had done nothing up to this point to remove the Philistines. It was the Lord who had brought the victory. And that's what it says here in verse 23. The Lord saved Israel that day. In verse 24, and the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. It means they really had a lot of work. It's been real strenuous. This battle had just taken a lot out of them. And remember, they're chasing. <laughs> they're having to chase them down to get them. I mean, they're having to run after them. And, and we see, if you read the passage, you see it was... It was not just a few feet. It was not just a few hundred feet. They, they, they were chasing for miles to try to track these people down. They were hard-pressed. All right, these guys are tired. They're thirsty. They're hungry. They're worn out. Look at this. So Saul had laid an oath on the people saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged of my enemies so none of the people tasted food first of all remember Saul was passive Saul wasn't doing anything but now it seems to become kind of personal to him you know nobody's nobody I'm every we're going to call a fast don't eat any food until I am avenged on my enemies and we begin to see some of the trouble in the heart of Saul. It had to be about him. His reputation had to be elevated. Can't go out and fight the Philistines. They might, they might kick, kick our behinds, so uh, we can't do that because that would, that would mess up my reputation. So I'd rather just stay where I am. But now that the, the battle's on and the route is on, he wants to jump in there and get his name out there. Hey, you guys go out and get him. And, and by the way, let's drag God into this. I wasn't, I wasn't going to do it before, but I'm going to drag God into this now. Nobody, a, a curse on anyone who eats anything as long as this battle is going on. Now listen, I've never been a warrior. I never served the military at all. Uh, probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do was football practice. I, I, be honest. I mean, phys physically, exertion, that's probably the hardest thing I've, I've ever had to do. I, I didn't go through boot camp. I didn't go through basic training. I never had that as an experience for me. But I can't even go out and ride 18 holes on a golf cart on a summer afternoon without drinking four or five bottles of water and, and eating banana or, or protein bar or something to try to keep up stamina to swing a golf club for 18 holes. These guys are swinging a sword, swinging an axe, swinging a hose, swinging a rake, swinging a shovel, whatever they had. Remember, last week they just didn't have a lot of a weaponry. 
they're out there in the heat, and it's pretty hot. Uh, I checked, you know, we're, uh, some of us will be going to Israel. We'll be flying out on Sunday, and I checked the temperatures. And even in Tiberias, right there near the Sea of Galilee, there was a day it was over 100 degrees. And they now are further south. They're a little more in the wilderness area. It's hotter there. So these guys have been hard-pressed. They're hungry. They're thirsty. And Saul has this brilliant idea that if I, let, let's call a fast. Let's not let them eat anything and perhaps not even drink anything while they are pursuing the enemies. Now, why would he do such a thing? I think we learned last week that Saul would drag religion into things because sometimes like us, he wanted to manipulate God. He wanted to get God on his side instead of worried about being on God's side. And so he's called for this fast. Now, we're we're going to move on through. We're going to run as fast as we can here. Now, here's what happens in verse 25. It says, now all the people came to the forest. So they've, they've chased them from the wilderness into a forest area. And behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. So it was coming out of the trees, just dripping down the trees. But no one put his hand to the mouth, for the people feared the oath, what Saul had said. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Why? Because he was actually doing some fighting at the time. So he had not heard the oath. And, and so he put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and he dipped it in the honeycomb, and he put it in his hand. He put his hand into his mouth, and his eyes became bright. In other words, he got a sugar rush. Okay? Needed, he needed a little sugar. He needed you ever you've been at that point where you just you need you need something sweet to get you a glass of orange juice something to kind of get your energy back and this is he got some energy back his eyes became bright and then one of the people said you're oh yeah they had to do that because you know you don't start giving this kind of news unless you start out with oh and he says here your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. In other words, they were all looking at him going, Man, I wish I had some of that honey. Anything to help me out here. And then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now... The defeat among the Philistines has not been great. In other words, we could have really taken it to them if we'd have just had a little extra strength. We could have run those guys down. We could have, we could have made this a complete route instead of the victory that it was. Now we're going to pick up in verse 36 because time's getting away from us. It says, Then Saul said, Let's go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them. So they've already battled all day. And he says, let's go down at night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. In other words, if we find anybody alive, we're going to kill them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, why don't we draw near to God here? And Saul inquired of God. And he said, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But, but God didn't answer them that day. And Saul said, come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how how this sin has arisen today. In other words, he's saying, since God's not given us an answer, there must be some sin here that we need, to, we need to find and address. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, 
Though it be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among the people who answered him. See, they knew. He didn't know. And now he is, he's, he's double. Have you ever doubled down on stupid? Okay. He just, he just did it. First of all, he gives this ridiculous, foolish curse. And then he doubles down on that by saying, you know, even if, hey, listen, if it, even if it was Jonathan, now he's got to be thinking, it's not Jonathan. No way it could be Jonathan. Even if it's Jonathan, I'll let him die. And the people were like, they're not telling what they know because they know what the situation is. They know how foolish the command is, and now he's just doubled down on it. And it, 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 it's just incredible. Verse 40, it says, And then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do whatever seems good to you. And so what he was thinking was, I'm going to stand over here with Jonathan, and they're going to, he's going to go in and do the human and the, uh, the Urim and the Thummim, and then it's going to, we'll be safe, and then we'll start dealing with the guilty party, trying to find the guilty party, having no idea that it was, it was Jonathan himself. Therefore, verse 41, Saul said, O Lord, God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or my son Jonathan, O Lord, God of Israel, give Urim. But if the guilt is in your people Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. In other words, it was the Urim. Then Saul said, cast a lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. So it was selected Jonathan. Then, Jonathan, then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff. That was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. He says, listen. He said, we've, we've, we've consulted the Lord. And the Lord has picked me. And since you made this curse and you're the king. I'm willing to die. Now here's the deal. Jonathan loved his dad. Even though he thought he did a really dumb thing. And he would rather die than stain the reputation of his father further. He would rather take the punishment than to embarrass his father, the king. So what we're seeing in Jonathan is we're thinking, man, I wish he'd have been picked as king. He's bold. He's aggressive. He's faithful. Wish he'd picked him. But now, we, now we're stuck with Saul. And it says, and Saul said, you would think at this point Saul would, would go, man, what have I done? That was, guys, that was the dumbest thing I've ever told you. Let, can, we, can we backtrack and start this over again? But, but instead it says here in verse 44, and Saul said, God do so to me and more also. You surely, you shall surely die, Jonathan. Saul's reputation was greater than his love for his son. He would rather his son die to save face in front of all the people. But the people wouldn't have any of it. In verse 45, it says, Then the people said to Saul, 
Shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not be one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed or rescued Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Basically, the people, you know, standing up to the king is deadly. But the people stood up to the king. And they reminded him, it was, it was Jonathan who started this whole thing. It was Jonathan who started the route. Jonathan was working with God. Jonathan was working against God. And they were willing to put their lives on the line in order to save him. Now, whether they ransomed him by, in other words, did they bring animals and say, let's sacrifice these animals in place of Jonathan, or did they just rescue him and just get between Saul and Jonathan say you're not touching him we don't know but I can tell you one thing Saul did more damage in this period of time to his reputation as king to his authority as king he did more damage to it in one day than he could have imagined having done in his entire kingship. What he has done is he's been foolish in his commands, quick in his commands, trying to manipulate God, trying to manipulate the circumstances, not thinking anything, you know, not even considering the weight of what he was saying, has doubled down on stupid. And now when he has the opportunity to back off and say, you know what, guys, that was really dumb. I, I want to apologize. I want to humble myself before you and before God and tell you, that I'm guilty this day. This, was on, this is on me. It's not on my son. My son did the right thing. He was doing exactly what God told him to do. And I, I'm the one to interfere. Instead of backing off, instead of humbling himself, he just doubled down on it. And he was willing for his own son to die. And the people said, that's not going to happen. And he damaged, he, 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 he damaged his reputation as king of Israel. And what we'll see is that, in fact, and we don't have time to look at it all, but it ends up, that Samuel walks away, and listen, Samuel never lays eyes on Saul again as long as he lives. He weeps for him, he cries for him, but he never lays eyes on him again when he walks away. Now, we'll see the actual walking away next week, okay? That's when he's good. There's another event that happens. That's the event, but so I've jumped ahead. There's something else going to happen tied to another battle. But eventually what's going to happen is Samuel's going to leave, walk away, and never behold Saul again. But listen, we need to to land the plane. But I want to say this. Just because a person wears a crown, just because a person sits in the Oval Office, just because a person wears a judge's robe, just because a person stands in the pulpit on Sunday morning does not mean that person is always right. And all of us, especially those who are in leadership, need the humility to admit when we're wrong. Something Saul could not, could not do. Well, let's look at the takeaways here. First of all, when the Lord has already revealed his plan to you, you do not have to keep coming back asking him to reveal it to you again. You simply need to do it. When God's already made it clear, you simply need to do it. You don't need to keep coming back over and over and over again. Secondly, be careful about the vows and the commitments that you make. 
Because one day you may regret having made that kind of a commitment. Some of you may have done this and said, Lord, if you would get me out of this situation, I'll do this or this or this. I've heard people, I mean, I've heard people say it, whether it was in a hospital or in a, in a, in a dire situation they were in, Lord, I, I will be faithful to you. I'll follow you. I'll be in church. I'll serve you. I, and you know what? Sometimes it happens. And sometimes it doesn't. You're better off not having made the vow at all. Third, when you care more about saving faith than doing what's right, your pride brings destruction. Listen, you may impress people, but God sees your heart. You can fool people, but you're not fooling God. And then finally, there's a father who did allow his son to die, but his son did so willingly, taking our curse upon himself. For him, there was no rescue, but he was and he is our rescuer. And that son is Jesus. And we are grateful to have a Savior who knows our faults and knows our failures and knows our sins and knows our shortcomings and loves us anyway and who went to Calvary's cross and he died on the cross to save us from our sins, to give us life with him forever in heaven if we will trust in him as Savior and follow him as Lord. And this morning, God may be calling you to do that very thing let's pray father god thank you for speaking to us through your word and for continuing to speak even through an old old book like this lord that you continue to speak to us and and you continue to challenge us and lord help us as we recognize the the arrogance the the smallness of saul's heart lord help us to recognize that we, all, we also can be like him. That can be our heart too at times. We let pride, we let, we let manipulating you get in the way. Lord, we let all kinds of things get in the way of, of just being faithful to you and doing what you're calling us to do. And so, Lord, whatever it is you call us to do this morning, for some it may be to be part of a local church family, a local church body like this. For some it may be that repentance and, and, and a new beginning is, is, is what you're calling them to do. Brothers, Lord, you're calling to follow Jesus and to take a step of faith and to stand with him and to follow him in baptism. Whatever it is, Lord, that you call us to do, we want to say yes. And we want to do it. And we want to ask your spirit right now, Holy Spirit, come and move us to do what you're calling us to do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.